Well, hi, church. It's good morning from me. But wherever and whenever you're watching from, I hope this message finds you and your family doing well and staying healthy. Now, but if you are watching somewhere in Hong Kong right now, especially if you're tuning in live right now this morning, I want you to help me with something. Um, go and just take a quick peek out your window and see what you can see. You know, it's probably a familiar view. You've been looking at this view for a while now. This is Hong Kong, right? So when you look at the views, we have lots of different things. Some of you might have a really nice view of the harbor or the water or some woods or trees or something like that. But we do live in a very busy and cosmopolitan city. And so even if you do have a spectacular view of the mountain or the sea, um, part of your view probably involves being able to look right into your neighbor's house. I know that if I looked, I was at home right now, if I looked out the, uh, my window, I could see, we, we do have a really nice view of the water, but if you just turn to the left slightly, I can see you know, some familiar faces. These are my neighbors. I see there's a guy that always has his TV on. No matter what time of the day it is, the TV is always on. 24-7, he's watching news or something like that. There's a family we see that always eats together. Every mealtime, every dinner time, this family sits down together, the four of them, and they share a meal. And then there's a kid who lives probably, I don't know, a few blocks down, and you can see that he plays really violent video games. It's like killing and shooting and all this kind of stuff. You can see that. I can see that directly from my window. But here's the thing. We get to see directly into people's houses, but we also get to see a more intimate part of their lives, right? A lot of people like to hang the laundry out to dry, and so often you can even see people's underwear flapping in the wind, bathing in the sun, and it's kind of weird now that I'm jealous of a piece of underwear, but there you go, right? This is just Hong Kong flat living right now. Now, since Brittany and I have been married, we lived in a bunch of different places. We've had to move house a lot, probably another very Hong Kong thing. And we've had some very good neighbors. We've been blessed to live next to some dear friends. Um, Matt Coulson, who used to be our missions pastor, he lived a few blocks down from us. We had another friend, Eric Farmer, who's a pastor at Island ECC. Shouts out to Island ECC. Um, he lived a few floors above us. We had another pastor friend, Dan Tupps. He lived a few floors above us as well. And so we've been blessed by good neighbors. But we've also had some bad experiences. And one of the worst neighbors we've had was really confusing. To this day, I still don't know what happened, okay? Um, but all we heard was constant noise. It was just constant noise. People dropping stuff, like uh, footsteps, like running back and forth, all the time. And it was all times of the day as well. But the most annoying was the constant, it was this it's like, it's like they had a marble factory upstairs or something. I don't know what was going on. It was always to be this tap, 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 tap. And it was just constantly noise, and it was so annoying coming from upstairs. I didn't know what to do about it. So I thought to myself, you know what? In a situation like this, what do you do? Well, like a very good passive-aggressive Hong Konger, I complained to the management. I went downstairs and I complained to them, said, you know those people upstairs are constantly making noise and blah, blah, blah. It didn't work. Nothing happened. Until this one day. This one day, I remember it was really early in the morning, about like five or six in the morning, and it was just like the noise was turned up at a whole new level, and I couldn't take it anymore. So you know what? I'm going to march up there myself and give them a piece of my mind. So I went upstairs, and I looked into the lobby of the, of the upper floor to see what was happening, and I was shocked. 
they were moving out. That was why there was so much noise going on. There was like movers moving furniture in and out. I ran back downstairs. It was like the best day of my life. I like woke Brittany up. I was like, kill the fattened calf, you know, um, open the new wine. These noisy neighbors are gone. Hallelujah. We literally celebrated that morning. It was amazing. As Andrew said just now, you know, we're continuing our journey in Psalm 15. We're continuing our way through this series. Um, and part of the question we're looking at today is how to be a good neighbor. Because this is what God has called us to be, to breed neighbors that bring life, to be the good kind of neighbors, the neighbors you want to live with, not those noisy people that lived upstairs. So we're going to read this psalm again together and see what God has to say. So if you're following along, if you follow on the screen or if you have your Bible, please read along with me. Psalm 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who, offers, uh, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts, and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. So it's a big question that David asks at the beginning of this psalm. Now that question fundamentally is this. How do we live, how do we function in order to have a thriving relationship with God? And you can see from this psalm, the very center of this psalm gives us part of the answer. And part of the answer is, this is the people, the one who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others. I think what this verse is trying to teach us is this. A thriving relationship with God always includes a loving relationship with those around us, our neighbors. Let me say that again. A thriving relationship with God always includes a loving relationship with our neighbors. And this psalm reveals that our relationship with God is made whole and more precious when we learn how to love and honor each other. And at this time where we are experiencing a lot of physical distancing, where we can't gather together as we would normally like to, even with our family members perhaps, it's important that we don't neglect this part of our relationship with God. So here comes the big question, right? Who is our neighbor? Because in the context of this psalm, in the context of the rest of the Bible, as we're about to see, your neighbor is definitely much more than the person whose underwear you can see flapping in the wind right now. And the theme of neighbor features heavenly throughout the scripture. And as with many Hebrew words, the word that David uses here for neighbor has many different meanings. In Psalm 15, David uses the word rea to describe what a neighbor is. Now, the special thing about this word is that it describes someone who is more than just um, physically or geographically close to you. There are other Hebrew words that describe being a neighbor in this way. But this word, rea, speaks more of a relational context. It's one where you have a moral obligation to the people around you. And rea is not only to do with those who are close to you physically or geographically, but it involves every single human being. And these moral obligations are all-encompassing. So in other words, what I'm trying to say is this. What we do is equally as important as what we say 
when it comes to the way we treat each other, when it comes to the way we are neighbors to each other. Listen again to verse 3 of Psalm 15. It talks about the one who speaks no truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander. This talks about the words we use towards each other. And the second part says this, the one who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others. This part talks about the, how we treat each other, the actions we do towards each other. Next week, Pastor Andrew is going to come and preach about the importance of speaking truth and the power of our wor words and how destructive lies, uh, lies can be when they're spoken out. But people who dwell in God's holy presence, who, who are in his holy tent, not only speak truth, but again, listen to this. It says they do no wrong to a neighbor and cast no slur on others. Do and cast. These are action words. Now, casting a slur, you know, it might, it might sound like um, a verbal issue, and it, it often is, it can be, but a slur is also cast, and perhaps more oftenly cast, um, through our actions. For example, when we discriminate against someone based upon their race or nationality, this is a prime example of how we cast a slur against someone. You don't have to even say a word, but your actions speak it all. So when I first was reading this, I was doing some research on it when I first read this psalm. On the surface, this seems quite easy to do. If we want to do no wrong to our neighbors, we just simply stay out of each other's way, right? How can we do any wrong if I'm not doing anything at all? This is a question I often ask my wife. I'm not doing anything. You know, like, why am I, why am I, being, um, why am I being blamed here? Maybe in parenting, you hear that a lot too. It's like, I don't know. I didn't do anything. But here's the thing, church. If our goal is just to live our own lives and keep out of each other's way, we're not being the neighbors that God has called us to be. And God's picture of being a neighbor isn't just a group of people that politely keep out of each other's way or even passive aggressively, you know, kind of keep a distance from each other. As we said earlier, God tells us we have a moral obligation. There's a reason why David uses his word to write this psalm. We have a moral obligation to treat each other well. And Scripture gives us no room to ignore each other, but God has always called us to actively serve, minister, and bless each other. We can see this right at the beginning of Scripture. As God is revealing His plan of redemption, God speaks to Abraham, and God chooses Abraham to be the father of this new nation, this new people that he's choosing to work through. But this new nation isn't just called to receive God's blessings and keep it all to themselves. God has always told Abraham right from the very beginning, yes, through your offsprings, all nations on earth will be blessed. You are going to be a blessing to these other nations because, what, of your relationship with me, because you have obeyed me, Genesis 22, 18. God's heart has always been that his people would be a presence in the world in order to bless others. Later on in, um, in history, the Israelites received the Ten Commandments, and we see this idea to bless others become reinforced. If you take a look at the Ten Commandments, you can actually see it's actually a list that's split quite cleanly. Some people say it's 50-50, some people say it's 60-40. But the point is, um, a portion of the, of, of the commandments that God gives to us in the Ten Commandments focus on the relationship between people and God. 
And the other commandments have to do with how we relate to each other. The Ten Commandments, church, are based on relationship. They're based on, like I just said, our relationship with God, and they're based on our relationships with each other. And because God is in this unique position of power and authority, of sovereignty over the whole universe, those who follow him are to acknowledge this, and we worship him and him alone. No other images, no other power systems, no other idols, whatever else, are to be worshipped and loved like the same way we love God. And things have to remain this way if we want to enjoy the, relationship, the benefits of being in a relationship with God. But here's the thing. At the same time, God is equally concerned about the way we live alongside each other and the way we treat each other. After all, every single one of us, every person tuning in right now, or all, the, all, the, all my colleagues in this room right now, we are all made in the image of God. And the two, therefore, are inextricably linked. We are called to love God, and if we are serious about our love for God, this means loving each other as well. And it's an important point to stress because in the Ten Commandments back in those days were very countercultural to the environment around them. Other nations around Israel at that time would have encouraged the ideas of revenge and cutting down neighbors. But God forbids it. But this is still just as important a message for us today. Because as we look at our culture around us, it's so, there's so much division still. There's still so many ways that the world is not being the neighbors that God has called us to be. And as his people, we need to ask ourselves some serious questions. Are we, doing, are we being good neighbors? Are we doing good towards each other? Do we cast slurs upon each other? As we've been reflecting through Psalm 15, and as we're bringing in the Ten Commandments today, you can see actually that Psalm 15 and the Ten Commandments sort of reflect each other. Like the Ten Commandments, right, it gives us a list of characteristics of um, our love and devotion to God. These are the key characteristics of those who follow God. And part of those is how we honor and worship God, like we just said. Part of Psalm 15 says, those who dwell in God's holy presence fear the Lord. But many of these characteristics, the majority of, of them, I would say, speak about the way we treat each other. And as we have discovered, it speaks specifically of how we treat our neighbors. So it could be that King David, in his composition of this psalm, had the Ten Commandments in mind. And like I said, this is a message that continues on throughout Scripture. If you read the Bible and the prophets and what they have to say about the way people treat each other, it continues. We have to love your neighbor, love your neighbor. And Jesus picks up on this theme as he begins his ministry on earth. As Jesus was ministering to his people, the Ten Commandments and these Psalms would also have been familiar to him. Of course they would have been. He would have certainly had them in mind as he preached and ministered to people. And there's one particular encounter that Jesus has with an expert in the law that highlights this very well. So we're going to go there right now. It's in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, one of the interesting things about this conversation is that it is also a reflection of Psalm 15 and the Ten Commandments. If you check it out, 
Um, look what they say. Okay, I'm in beginning of Luke 10, 25. Um, Jesus is being challenged with a question, and he gets asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is what the man asked Jesus. Now, internal life in this context could easily be understood as what must I do to be in God's presence, to enter into his kingdom? So do you see how this reflects the beginning of Psalm 15? This this expert in the law asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Psalm 15 begins by asking us, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? And Jesus goes on to respond by saying, well, what is written in the law? And so the expert answers him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This answer, again, reflects Psalm 15 because it gives a list of these characteristics about who are the people of God, who are the people that dwell in God's presence, who can live on his holy, in his sacred tent, on his holy mountain. And it says this, right? It's, 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 it's love God and love your neighbor. It's almost like a model answer that this guy presents at this time. Now, the beginning of this answer, of course, is a part of the, of the well-loved Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Every single Jewish person to this day still knows this. It's literally put on every single Jewish home's doorpost. It's a call. It's a reminder that God's people belong to God. And because of that, we worship God alone. But without missing a beat, this guy adds on the next part, and love your neighbor as yourself. This next part isn't a part of the original Shema, but this expert in the law, this guy, there was actually 613 or so Jewish laws, and this guy was an expert in them, which means he probably knew them off by heart. He had studied them. He had dedicated his whole life to live by them. And he understands that Actually, if we reduce all these laws down, the fundamental thing when it comes to a relationship with God is that we love God and following his laws, as we've been repeating, means that we love our neighbors as well. And what does Jesus say? Yes, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Jesus affirms this man in his answer. Now, if the story ended there, this person would have been a great example. Like I said, it was a model answer. Oh, yes, I get it now. Love God, love others. Great. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to go try and live my life in that way. But the story doesn't end there. It turns out this person had some kind of ulterior motive in approaching Jesus with this question. And Luke tells us, actually, he was trying to justify himself. He was trying to figure out a way. As, actually, who can I get away with not loving. I think this is what he was going through his mind. And we too need to stop here, church, and ask ourselves a question. Because for most of us, those of you who are tuning in right now, who are part of our Vine family, or those of you who are tuning in and have been Christian for a while, like this man, we probably know God's law quite well. Many of us have grown up, I know I certainly did, going to vacation Bible school, listening to Bible stories, sword drills, learning Bible verses, attending Bible studies. We had a great inductive Bible study that was just held right here in our community. Some of you even have, you know, formal theological training through seminary and Bible college and all those kind of things. We know all the good things that a Christian is supposed to do. 
But what this passage challenges us to think about is this. Yeah, okay, we might be good at following rules. You might be good at showing your love to God. But how about your love to your neighbors? Have you ever tried to justify yourselves in who you choose to love? It's no secret, right, that this past year and a half in Hong Kong has taught us a lot of lessons. The turmoil the city has been through, both politically and now through COVID-19, has revealed there's some actually very deep-seated tensions and divisions that lie within our society and even within the church itself. Now, let me start with some positive things. I think we've done a pretty good job in providing space and resources so that we can continue to express our love and dedication to God. During the height of the protest and for as long as we possibly could before restrictions set in the first round and this time again, we had this building open and we did everything we could to make sure that people could come in and worship God. And in those couple of um, weeks we had, in those few weeks we had gathering and in all the times before that, we had some really powerful encounters with God. Did we not, church? The Holy Spirit was moving, we were worshiping, people gathered together. There was the powerful presence of God felt right here. And even now, with the building closed and with this Facebook Live event, we're still able to worship and interact and and connect with God in this way. And we got a big big shout out to the creative team and 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 the service planning team and the production team to help all this to happen. The church really hasn't been contained within these walls. We've already begun to see... um, Models of the, of the river take place in people's houses. Leaders helping others, again, with space and time to connect with God. Actually, you might even say our love for God has grown in this time because we've become more desperate, right? We've had less places to turn to. We've had to turn to and rely on God more and more and more. I also think we've done a good job in providing people resources to be able to care for themselves, We've, each week, we've encouraged people to go and seek help if they need help, if they need pastoral care, you know, if they need, if they need someone to talk to. Our ACES counseling department has done an amazing job in helping people through this time to love themselves, to take care of themselves. And again, if this is something that you're struggling with right now, we want you to reach out. Your well-being matters greatly to us. So reach out if you're struggling at this moment. But again, let me bring us back to the fundamental question of today. What about our love for each other? What about the love we have for our neighbors? Has it grown in the same way? As we've been worshiping God in a more deeper and rich and meaningful way, has it led to a deeper and more meaningful relationships with those around us? And if it hasn't, we really need to stop and check ourselves for a moment and ask, Well, why not? Because as we've seen, love of God is linked to how we love each other. And if we are to really be God's people, if we really want to be God's presence, if we really want to experience God at work in our lives, as Psalm 15 has said, as the Ten Commandments say, and as Jesus has said in this parable, these two things go hand in hand with each other. But the temptation for us, right, is to justify ourselves in who we want to call a neighbor. And because of the divisions we've seen and all the prejudices we carry in our hearts, and we all have prejudice in our hearts, we are in danger of trying to keep that list pretty narrow 
So we, we pick and choose who we, cho- who we think God has called us to love. Either that or like we just ignore each other. But again, Jesus gives us no such option to live this way. You see, for this expert in the law, who he, we, who he wanted to regard as a neighbor were the people who were just like him, fellow Israelites of the same pedigree. You know, we, we, uh, he, he wanted people who walk like him, talk like him, worship like him, the same community, the same culture, the same social class, the same political views. These were the people that this guy wanted to consider as his neighbors. These are my neighbors, so I only need to love these people. And the parable of the Good Samaritan sometimes gets turned into a nice little Sunday school story. And it is a lovely Sunday school story. And part of the story is the fact that, yes, we do reach out and help those in need. This is essential to our calling as a Christian. We should be helping those in need. But it's more than that. The key point to this story is that Jesus is radically reminding us of who we are supposed to love. He reminds us that as God people, we are called to bless, we are called to be blessed, and we are called to bless others. And we mustn't forget that Jesus knew a thing or two about living in a time and in a land where there was political, racial, and social economic division. And this parable is an example of that. The hatred that the Jews and the Samaritans had for each other was about as real as it gets. And sadly, it goes on today in the tensions we see between Israel and Palestine. Both sides of these groups thought they were the rightful owners to the land. Both sides of these groups thought that they were the legitimate people of God. And even though they lived side by side each other geographically, they were physical neighbors, they did not love each other. In fact, they hated each other. So here, Jesus tells this story. A man walking along this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And Jesus tells us this man was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. This is not a good situation for this man to be in. A long and dangerous road, notorious for bandits, and if no one, stopped it, no one stepped in and intervened to save him, he would certainly have died. And the story continues. Jesus says, a priest goes down the road. He sees the man. He passes by to the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place, sees him, passes on the other side. The priest and the Levite, two temple officials, they would, have been con- they would have considered themselves lovers and worshipers of God. These were the kind of neighbors that this expert in the law was probably talking about. But instead of loving this injured man, they went as far away as possible, crossed actively, crossed over to the other side to avoid contact with this injured, possibly dead. You know, from a distance, it's hard to tell whether a severely injured person is dead or not. They probably thought, oh, he's dead. I don't want to go and get myself involved. More importantly, they, they might have been thinking, I don't want to defile myself because I have temple duties to keep up with. So if I defile myself, make myself unclean, I can't continue to work in the temple anymore. You might even say that through this story, Jesus was trying to highlight the priest and Levite, trying to justify the actions in this way, right? I have to keep myself clean. I can't get involved with this guy. I need to continue my duties of worshiping God in the temple. But then a Samaritan man enters into the story, and he comes along. He takes notice. He shows love. He shows care. He goes above and beyond, You see, what we do 
with what we see determines if we're the kind of people who dwell in God's presence. And it's the Samaritan man who truly acts as a neighbor. Even though Jewish society in that day would have called him anything but a neighbor. It's the Samaritan man that Jesus calls us to be like. Not the religious priests and the Levites who are ironically too focused on serving God to love others. Jesus ends the story by saying, go and be like the Samaritan man. So let me ask this again. Is our love and dedication to God reflected in the way we love each other? Even and maybe especially those who are different from us. Remember the key question we're dealing with here, with here in Psalm 15 and in this parable of the Good Samaritan. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live in your holy mountain? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers this question. It's the one who does his neighbor no wrong. It's the one who binds up the neighbor's wounds, who takes care of them, even though this neighbor would have been labeled as an enemy. It's the one who shows love and empathy, even at a great expense to himself. And now, as God's people, we have been called to do likewise. And brothers and sisters, I know this is a great challenge. But as we've been saying, this church, right, we've, we've asked for this church to play a prophetic role to demonstrate what God's love looks like in this city, in this world. We've been called to demonstrate what it's, be like, what it's like to be a good neighbor. And this has to start, this must start with the way we treat each other right here in this community and in our city, in Wan Chai, in Hong Kong, and then the world. Church, you see, in God's eyes, we are each other's neighbors. We are a family of brothers and sisters, all uniquely and beautifully made in God's image. So yes, there are bound to be times when we come across a situation where we will, be, where we will see things differently, where we might not be able to agree on certain things. Even in these times, can we be the neighbors God has called us to be? Can we be? These are some ways we can do this. We can be curious about each other. Seek and ask open and constructive, meaningful questions when we engage in conversation. Can we be present with each other, church, as we sit, as we're listening, to really listen without prejudgment? You know, a lot of times when we listen, we just listen and we're already formulating a, a comeback in our heads. Stop doing that. Instead, just sit and be present. Listen to each other without any judgment. And can we dream together? Even when we can't see eye to eye, we can still figure out ways to work together to build God's future, that the, the future that he has planned for us. And this doesn't mean we ignore each other's pain and brokenness. We don't ignore the injustice when we see it happening around us. But instead, like I said, we come alongside, we sympathize, we empathize, we take time to understand and to learn and to walk alongside. And like the Samaritan man, we've been called even to go above and beyond, to bind up wounds, to give sacrificially, to protect, to honor, to love each other. This church is what it means to be a prophetic voice in this city. Because as divided as the city is right now, as divided as the world is right now, we need to be the kind of neighbors that says, you know what? There is a different way. 
hey, we're not perfect. We're still trying to figure it out. But we promise to love you. We promise to carry you. We promise to listen to you, to tend to your wounds, to bring you healing, to show you who Jesus Christ is, the one and only true Son of God who died for you so that you can have life. If that's the church who God called, uh, shapes us to be, then who wouldn't want to be neighbors with a community like that? Who, wanna, who wouldn't want to move into a neighborhood where everybody treated each other in this way? This church are the kind of neighbors that bring life. So as we come to an end, let me just give a few practical examples, maybe some of the things you can practice this week as we, as we receive God's challenge to be a good neighbor. Number one is this. This is super countercultural, but it might blow some people's minds, all right? Get to know your actual neighbors. I'm talking about the people who live next to you. I know this isn't very much done in Hong Kong, and especially in this time of physical distancing, it might be weird, so we can figure out you know, good, safe, hygienic ways to do that. But introduce yourself. Knock on the door and bring a plate of cookies or cakes or something like that and let them know, hey, you know, we just live next door. If you ever need any you know, sugar or soy sauce or anything like that, just give us a knock. We're there. Get to know also people that, the people who serve the building, right? the, the men and women who um, to take out the rubbish, the, the, the security guard downstairs. All these people are people you encounter every day. It's a chance to be a neighbor to them. Get also to know the neighbors of this church. Whenever we're back here, you know, there's a bunch of really awesome businesses and, and people that live and work around this area. Get to know them. Support their businesses. Um, there's Mr. Alibaba down the road who does a really good curry. There's Tudor across the street who does, I can't ever pronounce the word, acai berry, you know, that really good smoothies and uh, healthy food. There's um, the man who runs the beef, the Aulamin place, just around the corner. All these are our neighbors who have been called to love. God placed them here for a reason. God put us here for a reason. So let's reach out and love them. And finally, it's this. Get to know the brothers and the sisters around you. Maybe it's the person you've seen coming to services. You might sit next to them every Sunday, and yet you've never even introduced yourself. These are the moments that God has called us to, to reach out in love, to be curious, to be present, and to dream together about the, the future and the kingdom that God has called us to build here on this earth. So this is my prayer for us, church that we be good neighbors to each other, that we be life-giving, life-bringing neighbors as we build God's kingdom here on earth. Would you pray with me as I end this message? Jesus, we thank you for ministering to us. We thank you for the people that you've placed in our lives. Yes, some people are difficult. Some people might have even sinned against us and we feel like they've hurt us and we feel like we've been wronged. In those moments, Lord, I pray that we can hand our pain and our hurts over to you and receive the healing that you have for us. But in the same time, Lord, I pray that our hearts are not hardened towards each other. But as we figure out our differences, as we figure out this season and navigate, how do, how do we love each other in this season of social distancing and of some uh, tensions and divisions within our city and our society? 
Father, give us the hearts of the Samaritan man. Help us to reach out to those in love. Help us to bind wounds, to speak words that bring life, to invite each other into our personal space, places and spheres so that we can build up and not tear down. So Lord, we can only do this by your guidance and by your love. You are the one because of you, only because of you, is how we can be good neighbors to each other. So Jesus, shape us into the church, into the people that you've called us to be. And may we be truly a prophetic place that brings life to people through the way we love them, the same way you would. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.